0: Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I am your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, I'd like to invite you to stay with me. 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, a lot of education. All done, all done with no manipulation. Nothing to manipulate you with. We're not trying to get you to join up, fess up, give it up, show up. Not trying to get you to go forward, go backwards, go anywhere. Just listen. Listen to the teaching of the Word of God. As I attempt to verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if you want to orient and adjust to the plan, you have the freedom, you have the privacy, you have your own volition, you can make that choice. But this show is called The Flot It's heard every Sunday on this radio station, and that's compliments of the faithfulness of God. The Flotline is about teaching you the ten unique problem-solving devices found in the Word of God. These are not some new discoveries. These are age-old biblical truths that have always been there. But the concept is this, that outside pressures of adversity come into our life every day. And we convert them into stress because adversity is what the circumstances do to us. However, unfortunately, stress is what we do to ourselves. If you will learn these 10 problem-solving devices, if you will establish a main line of resistance or a flat line inside your soul, then you can stop the adversity before it turns into stress. You cannot stop adversity from happening because the Bible says man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble, but you can stop it from becoming stress, which means you don't have to worry, you don't have to get angry, you don't have to be bitter, you don't have to have guilt. It's a better way to live. All of these mental attitude sins convert into stress, and you don't have to live like that. And that's why we've given you these 10 unique problem-solving devices, such as rebound, how to solve the problem of sin, the filling of the Holy Spirit, how to solve the problem of your genetically formed old sin nature that resides in you. The faith rest drill, how to solve the problem of fear and unseen circumstances. Grace orientation, how to utilize the grace of God in your salvation and in the lives of those that you come in contact with, gracing them out just like God graced you out. Biblical orientation, learning to think divine viewpoint, not human viewpoint, having a personal sense of destiny, knowing that God has a unique plan for your life and living in his agenda, not yours, and then personal love for God, which is the greatest motivational virtue you could ever have, and impersonal love for others, which is the royal law taught in the Bible, and then sharing the happiness of God, the joy that Jesus said he leaves for us, that he shares with us, and then occupation with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are those ten unique problem-solving devices. And by the way, we have a book on that. If you like to have it, just contact us uh, either through the website, rickhughesministries.org, or you can e- you can write us a letter, P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama. That's P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. 35054, and we'll be glad to send you the book free of charge. We never charge anything, we don't sell anything, we've always believed if God's in it, God would pay for it, so we don't have to run around trying to hustle up the finances. It may be different from what you've heard other people say or do, but we don't need Uh, to ask for money. The Lord supplies it. I believe he will supply it, and I believe the less I talk about it, the better off I am. Okay, now, we have been talking about passing the baton of Bible doctrine or the baton of the Word of God to the next generation. We've been talking about the client nation, USA, and what our job is, and we've been talking about what sustains a client nation, and that is the pivot, the core group of mature believers within that nation. And I have shown you that as the core group or the pivot of mature believers shrinks, then the client nation stands in peril. It is possible that we could lose our client nation status. That means that God would allow discipline to come into our nation. Leviticus 26:27. you can read about the five cycles of discipline. Whenever a client nation goes under discipline, God always enacts four warning stages where he warns us, and he warns us, and he warns us, and we don't listen, we don't listen, we don't listen, and eventually that nation can be taken out. This has happened in the history of the world in the past, and it certainly could happen in the history today. I believe, I believe this, that if the next generation of Americans don't return to the values of the word of God. If the next generation of Americans don't pick up the torch of truth, which is the Bible, and live by the concepts and the principles that are taught in the Bible, then we're going to lose all of the freedom that we've ever had. Everything our men and women have fought and died for, we're going to lose it. And we're going to, we're going to happily submit to our own destruction because in our arrogance, we don't think we need God any longer. In our arrogance, we have demonized Christians. In our arrogance, we have used pejorative terms to call them Bible thumpers, weirdos, holy rollers, anything that Satan can come up with to marginalize the Christian faith and stick you out the back door while accepting other religions as necessary in the name of diversity. We're in trouble. America is a sick generation right now. And a lot of young people that I speak to don't have a clue what's going on. They're more concerned about their daily routine and their daily lives. We have become, as I gave you uh, the illustration showing you last week, and I want to back up just for a minute, in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, Tim, Paul gives a, a list of historical trends in the end times. And this list is very much parallel with what's happening in America today. I am not saying we are in the end times, but I am saying that you may be witnessing the decline and the fall of client nation USA. What you know as free America may not exist in the next 20 to 30 years. It's happening. Anyone with any common sense can look at the trends of history and can see what's happening. We can't continue to survive with a national debt like it is. We can't continue to take money away from Americans and give it to Egyptians and give it to Arabs and give it to whoever in the Middle East wants it because we're trying to buy their friendships, while at the same time we can't even afford to fuel our aircraft carriers to patrol the Persian Gulf. We have all sorts of social unrest. Our country is divided as never before in political terms. And we're at a crossroads in history. And so Paul says when that happens, you will find in those end times people who are lovers of money. That means that they believe that money can save them, that money is the comfort. I think that's a big problem, don't you? Because money is simply a narcotic for an empty life in some people. They buy things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. They just want to spend money, and that makes them happy. They call it retail therapy. But they are boasters. In other words, they glorify their self with excessive pride, and that's a self-deception term. They're arrogant. They have an exaggerated sense of their own wealth and their own importance. They're disobedient to parents, and here's where the breakdown in the home starts. Anti-authority. That's why Ephesians 6 says children obey your parents and honor your father and your mother if a child doesn't land learn authority orientation in the home then they will not respect the authority of the police officer the principal the pastor they must learn authority orientation at home and there's only one way to do it fathers bring your children up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord Ephesians 6 1 and 2 and 3 nurture and admonition nurture is the word "nucia" and it means from the Greek New Testament, nusia. It means to put something in their mind, the noose. And padia, we get an English word paddle from that. It means to put something on their behinds. It is not a sin to paddle a child when that child violates a known order, violates authority, because you must teach them to respect authority. Without that, You're going to raise a generation of wild and unrespectful children, and that has happened in America today. Unthankful is another descriptive term that Paul used in the last days. No gratitude. Unforgiving, he said, which means they show no mercy. They are slanderers, which means they communicate false statements, and you talk about that on the Internet or on Facebook or On Twitter, I mean, there is so much hatred and uh, so much vile talking and slandering and maligning talk shows, even sports talk radio, malign and slander athletes and coaches because people think they're smarter. People think they could do a better deal, and they want to run their mouth and run somebody down, and that's why Matthew 7 says, keep your mouth shut, don't judge other people, Because if you judge other people, you're going to find yourself being judged by God. No self-control is another indicator of a decline in society. And I showed you where Ben Franklin told us that if we would educate our children to self-control and to the habit of holding passion and prejudice and evil tendencies and subject them to an upright and reasoning will, then we would have done much to abolish misery from their future. Listen, that's what the Bible says. But here's America, 2 Timothy 3, having a form of godliness but denying the power. And Paul warns, turn away from these because they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. He's talking to Timothy about specific believers where Timothy is serving, but this is a historical trend, trends of Christian dilettantes people that seek mental stimulation rather than the inculcation and the application of the Word of God in their life. So if America is going to survive as a client nation, we must not be distracted or captured by the details of life. The priority number one in your life, in my life, must be to fulfill the protocol plan of God. Protocol plan of God. That means that if you're going to serve God, you must do it in the right way. A right thing must be done in the right way. Whenever you're dealing with God, there must be protocol. Come on, there's protocol in Washington. There's protocol in the military. There's protocol with God. And if you're a young person, anyone under the age of, say, 20, then you better have some forward thinking and be alert. I mean, you may have the body of a 20-year-old, you better have the mind of a 50 year old because you better wake up and realize what's going on around you and what you're about to lose when i was young i never thought about the security of my nation i didn't think about that i never thought any re- about any responsibility that i had to maintain freedom for america let me make a principle here let me make this point really clear we love the military I love the military. I respect the military. I respect them for the sacrifice and the service that they have maintained. And I believe in freedom through military victory. But I'm going to tell you something. As goes the lives of the mature believers in the country, so goes the military. It is not the military that earns us our freedom. Our freedom is provided by the core group of mature believers who live in this country. What did First Chronicles say? If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear their prayer and heal their land. You are the key. As goes your spiritual life, so goes our military. You turn your back on God, and you watch what happens to the military. That's why today we're not respected. That's why today we haven't won a good war in a long time. We came out of Vietnam wondering what happened. We're coming out of Iraq wondering what happened. We're coming out of Afghanistan wondering what happened. And the nations of the world no longer fear us. We can't even afford to fuel up our aircraft carriers, as I said earlier. Because of sequestration, we have to cut back on armed forces readiness. Why would they fear us? That's why you find during this administration the public posturing of all of our enemies, pushing the envelope to get what they can get while they can get it. We are not going to survive as a client nation if we continue to be captured by the details of life and all we enjoy is the gifts and forget who the giver is. You cannot forget who the giver is. You cannot forget how you got here. And unless you take your spiritual life serious, unless you get serious about it and begin to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you're going to be part of the problem, not part of the solution. And it's only the Word of God that can make you aware of that. It's only the Word of God that can let you see the trends that we're facing as a nation. And it doesn't take a genius to realize this doesn't take a genius to see what's going on in our country. Therefore, we must finish the race. Listen, when I was in high school, I ran a relay race one time, and I sure didn't like it because my coach wanted me to run a a 440 race. It was a mile relay, and there were four of us in it, and I was not a runner. I was a weight man. I threw the shot put and the discus and set state records in both events. But this day I had to run, and run I did. And a 440 is one full lap around the track as fast as you can go. And that last 100 yards was the toughest I had ever run. I rounded the corner, and I was sprinting toward the finish line, and I was trying, but nothing was working. My legs were not moving very much, and everything was tightening up. And we ran. I could hear my coach hollering, run, boy, run. And I could hear the guys behind me that were coming up, the sprinters, the guys that were used to running, the guys that ran all the time laughing, saying, we're going to catch you, but they didn't. Listen, use that analogy to your life. You may be in that last hundred yards. You may have rounded the corner of 60, even 70, but you've got to finish the race. You have got to pass the baton of the word of God to the next generation. You're not the strong, rugged specimen you used to be. And the question is, are you going to finish this race? Or will you be discouraged by something? Will you be distracted by something? Will you disengage at the last moment? Paul faced the same sort of adversity in his life. In Philippians one twenty-three, he wrote to the church at Philippi, I am, I'm in a strait. I'm in a predicament. A strait. No doubt. No doubt. This refers to... A mental, maybe even somewhat of an emotional response to the the things that he had gone through and he was going through. But he said, I am in a strait because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better for me. And nevertheless, I need to continue in the flesh, which is far better for you. I am in a strait. I have a desire to go. Listen, he wanted to go. He wanted to be in heaven. Do you realize what he had been through? What Paul the apostle faced? My goodness. I mean, he had been imprisoned in Rome. He had been imprisoned in Caesarea. He had been tried under house arrest. Paul said in Philippians one thirteen, it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all of the rest that my chains are in Christ. You know, he had been under a death threat. It started way back in Acts 23:12, due to his preaching the gospel. And a group of men vowed not to eat or drink until they killed him. He had been forced out of the Jewish temple and beaten by a mob. He had been rescued by a Roman killiarch who commanded a thousand and has mistook him for an Egyptian assassin. Acts twenty one thirty eight. Read about it. This Roman thought he was an Egyptian assassin. He was taken to Felix, the governor of Judea, and stand trial. He was accused by Ananias, the high priest, of being a great troublesome person and a mover of sedition. And eventually, he was tried before Festus, the new governor of Judea, and then before being sent off to Rome. Tried before King Agrippa. This is where Agrippa said those famous words, Paul, you have almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Paul endured unbelievable suffering, unbelievable persecution, which is why he said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, but nevertheless, it's more needful for me to be with you. You may feel the same way. You may be sick, and you may be hurting, and you may say, I just wish I could go to heaven. You must remember this. It's not God's time yet. He has a plan for you. He's still using you. Your children and your grandchildren must see the importance of the word of God for you. They must see the fidelity of the faith that you have. They must see your stance and truth. And you must pass that baton to them. The race is not over until you put it in their hands. So as Paul closed in on the last years of his ministry... He faced tremendous hardships. And you must realize you will face them too. It's called evidence testing. Evidence testing. Satan cross-examines every witness presented by God during this stage of the angelic conflict. Every believer who maintains or attains spiritual maturity is going to be cross-examined by Satan. And none of us can pass the baton until we reach spiritual adulthood and fulfill the plan of God in our life. So evidence testing, that's just Satan trying to discredit you, trying to stop you from passing the baton on to the next generation. And he will use accusations. He will use isolation. He will use deprivation in your life. These are just a few of the ways that he will attempt to break you. And you must understand, that this evidence testing could come quickly in your life without notice, without warning, but it could come when you least expect it. But the promise of God in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is he will never put more on you than you can stand. Evidence testing. What, listen, here is something that Job said as he went through it. He said in Job 5, 8, listen carefully, but as for me... I would seek, and the Hebrew word there is darash. It means to consult or inquire. I would inquire of God. And to God, I would sum, in the Hebrew, sum. It means place my cause upon him. Now, you know what happened to Job. All of it happened in one day. And Job said, as for me, I would consult God, and to God I would place my cause. How do you consult God? How do you seek God? This is where it starts. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're going through some sort of suffering, some sort of evidence testing in your life, it starts with Hebrews 4.16. And here's what the Bible says in this passage. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Boldly means that we can come confidently because we are a believer priest. We are a priest. We don't need a priest to go before us. We are a priest. The Lord Jesus Christ is our high priest and he intercedes for us so we can pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and confidently and boldly approach the throne of grace. Why? Well, we have a purpose clause here. So that so that we may obtain elias, or mercy, meaning kindness, or goodwill. It's the same word used in Titus 3.5 where it says, according to his mercy he saved us, So I will commit my cause to God. I will come boldly to his throne so I can obtain kindness and find grace, grace, the ability to sustain me in my time of need, in time of need. That's what this writer says. We don't really know who wrote Hebrews, but that's what he says. I can find it if I will come confidently and boldly to the throne of grace. So first of all, I have to do that. And then listen to the next step. In Exodus fourteen thirteen. do not be afraid. Stand still, Moses said, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Because the Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. That was a mandate. Do not be afraid. The number one emotional sin is fear. Fear eliminates you advancing spiritually. Fear could be you assuming an unassigned responsibility. This is the Lord. He handles that, not you. And so Moses said, you stand still. And that's an imperative mood in the Hebrew. It's an order. Yatsab is a Hebrew word. It's the hiphael imperative of yatsab. It means stand there. Shut up, stand there, and watch what God's about to do. See the salvation of the Lord. He will accomplish for you. You're not going to solve your problems. Only God can do that. Only God can handle that. In the face of death, they were told to stand still and watch what God was about to do. You know, the resurrection guarantees you victory over death. And this is what Satan has used to intimidate people for years. Hebrews two, fourteen and 15 says that Satan uses death to intimidate people. And when you face death, you must let God handle it. You can't handle it. You know he chooses the time and the manner and the place of our departure. And when that time comes, you must be ready to pass the baton to the next generation. Therefore, Paul said in Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, along with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. That's how you do it. That's how you seek God and commit your cause to him. And one final thing, Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do all things without complaining, no griping, no disputing, so that you may be blameless and harmless. God doesn't authorize you to gripe and complain. He authorizes you to seek. He authorizes you to come to his throne, to ask for mercy, and to wait until he handles it for you. Remember these things. Remember these things. You're going to need them in the future because the next generation coming up behind us may not want to carry that baton that you've carried. Pray for them. Pray for them that they'll see this. And America will continue to be free based on the pivot of mature believers. Until next week, this is your host Rick Hughes saying thank you for being with me today. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100 Cropwell, Alabama 35054 or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.